And we're talking pet chat today. Cheryl Shaw, you are a wealth of knowledge. And today you're going to talk to us about matted dogs and, and the right techniques, I guess, in brushing and, and grooming our, our That's pets. Right. That's right, Sarah. Well, most people don't really understand what matting is. So from the very beginning, I'll explain what it is. It's tangled clumps of fur, or commonly known as mats. And sometimes it's knotted interwoven hair fibres in the dog's coat. And it can be widespread. It can be all over the dog or it can just be in certain areas. Areas, particularly in those friction areas, you know, the underarms, where yes. they sit, sometimes even on dogs where they lay because the compression of their, their body and, you know, the up and down movement can sometimes mat a dog. So you might find a dog can mat on one side more than the other. And obviously wearing a coat because when you put a jacket on the dog it compresses the hair so that's another area that we do need to make sure that if a dog is wearing a coat or a jacket that we take it off and give it a good brush. Now, why... The matting occurs. There's two types of hair. Obviously, you've got the top layer of coat, which is the guard hair usually, and underneath the soft the soft coat, the undercoat. And how people brush usually um, is over the surface of the dog, so they don't get right down to the skin. And by not getting down to the skin and lifting the coat up, and as you comb through, removing the the dead hair or that shedding hair, that hair actually embeds into the other fibres and stays back. And as it starts to um, mat, it actually mats backwards so it shrinks the dog's fur back to the skin so it actually starts pulling on the skin and yeah hurting. right okay yeah so it a lot of people don't realize that and when they wash their dog so they might be washing it and keeping it clean but each time they wash it it shrinks back and gets tighter and tighter so the dog is really in a bit of discomfort or in some cases a lot of discomfort the other thing that happens when they are matted we don't realize what's going on underneath the skin and because the air can't get to the skin properly the skin can become quite unhealthy so it, it becomes um, because the air isn't getting there it can become there can become sores there can become other things that start to happen and particularly if the dog is starting to chew at some of the mats so that that might be a bit uncomfortable it will chew at the mat and then put moisture into the coat and this is often the way that the hot spots and sores underneath the the fur that you can't even see is happening starts to and they're not breathing I guess so yeah. they're yeah, and so that right. skin is becoming really unhealthy and the dog can actually if it's really matted can overheat so it is a concern um, making sure that we just don't allow these dogs to get too matted and that their coat is um, not able to pelt because that's a real issue. And it then becomes very hard for groomers to remove that coat because you've got to get under the matting. So owners might want their dog to look really fluffy and have a long coat, but it's almost impossible to achieve that. Yeah. Because you have to get that blade down. So underneath that is really hard. And if you're not doing it um, carefully and taking your time, you could actually cause more injury to the dog. Another common area that we have a lot of problems with um, matting is um, on the ears of dogs. Because depending again on the breed, but some dogs' ears hang into their food or into their water. Um, they're in the dirt, so they're collecting a lot of debris and they get quite heavy and as the mats start to shrink back, they actually make the ears, um, the blood can't flow properly through the, the ear flaps or the pinna and so what happens when we shave those ears down or take that matted hair off, the release of the, the capillaries in the ears suddenly swell and the blood 
flushes into the ear and then we can sometimes have what we call a hematoma and you'll require your dog to go to the vet. So there are implications. Can be quite serious. Absolutely. So Cheryl, I guess a lot of people are thinking what what I'm thinking as, as a pet owner, do we need to go buy special brushes for this? What's the best way to sort of manage? How often do we need to be brushing our, our dogs? You're probably going to say ideally daily. No, look, because, nobody has the time Yeah, I was to going to say because that just doesn't yeah, happen. Yeah, and, you know, in all honesty, if you give your dog a really good brush once a week, that would be ideal. But okay. it means getting and usually selecting the tools that are right for your dog. So if you've got a long-coated dog or a double-coated dog, you need to get something that's going to go down to the skin. So you brush from the skin out and that will remove any dead hair and help the dog to, to be able to um, not feel that discomfort of having too much coat in that it doesn't need. And the other thing is dead hair smells. So often you get that doggy odour because the hair actually smells. Right. So brushing from the skin out, removing that shedding coat, making sure there's no matting there. But that selection of tools is really important. Okay. All right. So is there any other tips that we need to be thinking um, heading into winter? A lot of dogs' coats are a little bit longer than obviously summer. Is there any anything else that we need to be mindful of? Well, you don't have to have your dog cut shorter, but obviously the longer the coat and the more coat that's there, um, the harder it is to maintain. So uh, making sure that when you do use a, a jacket or a coat on your dog, that when you um, take it off each day, and if you are doing that, that's probably where you do have to brush every day. Mm. Day, whereas if they're not wearing a jacket, once a week is probably efficient. Because Gizmo's got his um, camo little jacket on, but we keep it on. We only take it off every few days. Oh, so well, you he's do sleeps to... in it. Well, that's okay. Sorry, <laughs> what's David's laughing at me? Am I am I already in the bad books? It's only day one. Look, no, you can't no, sleep no, no. in that. But what we need you to do is take it off and give him a thorough brush, and then put it back on. Okay, because it's going to compact the hair, and yep. the air can't get to his skin. So it's really important to have good aeration. Otherwise, they do get sores and lots of things happening. And you can just keep a check on what's happening underneath that jacket and particularly Mm. those friction areas you know under the armpits with some of those jackets they really do mat up very quickly okay no look good advice and uh, i will also make sure that i do that it's just just like just like the kids you got to change their clothes every few days. Yeah, yeah. I know. Give them a bath every Give now and then, off. and yeah, yeah, exactly. And a hairbrush. Look, good <laughs> advice. And we're here to take your calls four nine two one six two one six. We'll open up the phone lines. Uh, well, now if you want to get in nice and early, and then of course we're going to uh, have a chat with David Tabret, who's given us a little bit of a hook. What's yes, rugby league players, yep, netball players, yep. and Labradors. What do they all have in common? They're good at jumping. Uh, some of the rugby league players I know probably yeah, not. Yeah, a bit so hefty. Yeah. All right, yep, fair enough. Now, Mark, you've got a dog that continually destroys her bedding. Yes, that's right. Uh, she's a Weimarana. Mm. Uh, she's probably eight years old now. Um, doesn't matter what we buy her or uh, what I try to do to her cattle, she'll just destroy it, tear it up, make it into a million pieces and leave it for me to sweep up. <laughs> so she... She's ungrateful. She's certainly, but she's keeping you in a job, Mark. I mean, that's we're we're talking about gainful employment. Uh, Obviously, you're there to serve her needs uh, very well. Now, does she chew on the kennel at all, or is it just on uh, just tearing up the bedding? Yeah, no, it's just the bedding. I uh, I made her a a fair-sized, decent timber cattle. I've even tried uh, screwing down camping mats with uh, heavy carpet over the top of it. Right. Yep. And she's still, she'll still just be uh, 
just enjoy every bit of the thumps and mm. all the sound in the backyard. There's a couple of things that often goes on in this scenario. I think that, um, first of all, uh, sometimes we give dogs a bed and they just go, you know what, I'd rather make it myself. Uh, yep. And um, it's just their preference and so on. And obviously, if the quality of the material and the quality of the bedding is such that she can shred it, then she will. The other thing is that um, dogs that get bored, and we try not to use the word boredom so much as basically saying they need more environmental enrichment. So if she's got all this kind of uh, emotional, mental energy, and I know that sounds a little what we call anthropomorphic, which means that we're actually attributing human behaviours onto dogs and human feelings, but there is good evidence that uh, good mental health, particularly for these large active-type dogs like a Weimarana, requires that they have plenty of activity, plenty of engaged activity. So they're not... You know, just going to run around the backyard just because they can, uh, and in fact, if they do that, sometimes it almost becomes a uh, what we call a stereotypy, which is dogs that are and animals that are um, conveying a behaviour just to keep their brain active. So the the goal here, I think, is to go back and look at what you've got in the yard for the daytime that she's mentally stimulated, and that's you know we talk about things like the Kongs that are filled up with frozen food. Uh, and I like a bit of Vegemite in those as well. Um, they've got these really hard rubber balls. They come in all size, uh, shapes and sizes. You can fill them up with food, smear a Vegemite, wrap them in plastic. They go in the freezer overnight, come out of the morning, yep. and your dog spends the whole day just getting, uh, getting to know the Kong, spending the day licking and chewing and getting the reward of the food there as well. Um, any Any sort of game activity as well that you're engaging with her to keep her occupied so that by the time she goes to bed it's just like lights out i'm done no time to shred the bed because that's often what's happening she's just got this pent-up energy left over uh, and she just goes to town on the bedding and obviously you've just got to make sure you've got good quality but then you spend the money and you find oh her teeth do destroy the 200 hundred dollar bed uh, yeah. yeah. Now, Mark, I, I'm not a vet. That may shock you, and I don't know what David would think of this advice, but maybe she's trying to tell you she wants to bunk in with you. Oh, so oh well, she, she does do that quite a bit, but uh, I don't know if it's just our, our girl, but she has very long claws on temper floors, and they get quite annoying. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> yeah, I, I'd go back, look at the daytime, and basically from dawn to dusk, we're keeping her active in those variety of ways, plenty of walks, plenty of activities, um, rope toys are good and the Kongs are great and uh, that'll take a bit of that energy out of her so that by the time she comes to bed, it's, um, you know, you read her a bedtime story and she's done. You exhaust her. All right, 49216216, lines are open. We've got a free one right now to take your call. Now, put us out of our misery, Mm. David. What does an NRL, a netballer and a Labrador have in common? Well, they all have knees. They all have knees. Yes, and they have knees. And whiskers? No, wait, sorry. <laughs> knees, yep, back to knees. They have knees that can actually get damaged in ah. a way. And the major injury they do is the what uh, they tear their cruciate ligament. Right, of course, a lot of netballers now, do have look, this, this is not radio is not a visual medium, so it might be a little hard to convey, <laughs> but our knees are actually an inherently unstable joint. If you think of your hip joint, it's the classic ball and socket, okay? Our elbow joint is a hinge, but the knee is actually just a flat platform with a ball on top. And so the ball rolls around, and there's all these ligaments 
around the knee joint, both human and dogs, to hold them stable. And of course, unless your dog looks like mine, most dogs, their legs are actually bent. So they... Sorry. Oh, he's left his he's left his mobile on Radio oh, One Hundred and One. Goodness, but me. look, they're they're Amateur. a joint that um, is it's a bad design. Bad design, uh, and so the ligaments are actually going to get stretched and pulled. And if they have some pre-existing arthritis in the knee, which most NRL footballers, netballers, and Labradors do, they can actually tear that ligament. And the cruciate ligament is inside the joint. There's two of them. There's the cranial cruciate and the caudal cruciate. And the cranial cruciate is the most common one that they do. And uh, so, for instance, last week we had a, a dog in that um, had torn his cruciate ligament and required surgery to fix it because without that ligament, they're very, very unstable, quite painful, and arthritis will progress rapidly mm. and the leg becomes unusable. So we go into surgery to fix it. And there's a variety of techniques uh, to fix them, which always tells us that there's not one good way to fix them. And partly that's because there's such a range in the dogs that we see. You know, we get 10 kilo dogs that, uh, that tear their cruciate and we see 75 kilo dogs. My brother's Jack Russell just had to have his done. Roger. Oh, yeah. A Jack Russell. There yeah, you go. a Jack Russell. Small dog. Yep. Yeah. And they reckon the other one might need to be done too. Yeah, very often it's uh, the arthritis is present in the joints. And it's, you know, which leg goes first. How do we avoid this? Is there anything we can do for, for our pets to avoid having to have this surgery, which obviously can be quite expensive? Well, one thing is to make sure that uh, you um, optimise their weight. Okay, so dogs that are overweight, obviously there's more pressure on the joints. Uh, regular exercise is useful. But uh, with the cruciate ligament, because the word cruciate is uh, derived from Latin, so it implies that there's a cross and these ligaments cross over. The ligaments are actually look like an electric cable or a telephone cable. They're made up of lots of fibres. And as they twist and get stretched, they're put under enormous pressure. So any activity where the leg is actually twisting exacerbates that. And this is where we come back to rugby league players and netballers. Okay, their mm -hmm. feet their feet lock on the ground and their body goes one way, but they're trying to turn the other yeah. way. Yeah, starting and stopping very right. quickly too. Yeah. Yep. So that's actually yeah. the scenario. And so with dogs, straight line exercise is good, swimming is good, weight control is good. So anything you can do with that and be alert to it. And if you're, you know, go see your vet and you've got a breed that's at risk, although as we know, it can happen in almost any breed, but there are certainly the athletic dogs and any dog that is prone to putting on weight. So we see a lot of Rottweilers, Labradors, um, but we also see Staffies. Um, we had a, a, believe it or not, a British Bulldog in. Yeah, right. That required surgery um, two days ago with the, with this problem. Uh, so you see a lot of them. It's a very, very common problem. For pet owners, is it obvious when something's happened oh, yes. to, to the cruciate ligament? Yes. Like it's an instant thing. It's they not a build-up of... They can't put their foot on the ground. That's probably a giveaway, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Now, over time, if you didn't actually operate on them, over time it would they would start to walk again, but they're going to have a lot of arthritis and a lot of problems. Mm. So prevention, very important. Look, sometimes you can't prevent it and we just have to fix it, you know, with surgery and hope that it doesn't happen again. All right. And we've got Rob on the line from East Maitland. Rob, your dog losing some hair. Oh, not some hair, mate. Um, but I haven't got much hair myself. I wish I could grow it as quick as she loses. You should collect it up. <laughs> ah, it's just... And, like, you, you wash her and you think, oh, yeah, my job's done. And then you, you 
I dry her off, and there's just hair everywhere. Mm. Um, what sort of dog is she? She's a Jack Russell cross foxy. All right, okay, yep, short breed, short hair. So when are there patches of uh, that she's losing it from? Like are you nope. seeing bare patches? No, just all no. over. No, it's just it's just constant. There's just hair absolutely everywhere, and I'm, I, like, and it's it's like um, it's like barbed wire. She gets into the car, mm. and you, you oh, can't us. even get it out of the fibres of the car. You know, it just yep. sticks in there. And she's um, she's had uh, it, uh, injections for for kennel cough, but she hasn't had kennel cough. I know that's one of the symptoms, but it's and it's just constantly. So I'm, I'm wondering because I've, I've I brush her with uh, one of those. A blue glove, and it's got nipples on one side and a brush on the other side. I'm wondering if we should use a comb and try to strip it out. Well, may may not be a bad idea. Just generally from a health perspective, dogs, uh, if you're not seeing patches of bare skin or thin hair and so on, then there are some conditions where dogs will turn over their hair more frequently and you'll get a lot more. But obviously with dogs that have got that kind of really wiry hair and the particularly if there's white, you tend to notice it a bit more. Um, some of the conditions we see is when they have alterations in some uh, hormones in their system, like thyroid hormone can cause this sort of thing. And sometimes uh, dogs with um, Cushing's disease can get changes in their hair coat. But uh, overall, if the dog's otherwise healthy, it may just be a sign of being healthy that they've got a very active cycle. And hair goes through a number of phases. So there's a growth phase, there's a resting phase. And oftentimes if they're going through a very active growth phase, um, then we'll, we'll just see it turning over a lot and it'll be everywhere. But this can be sustained for a long period of time. And it really comes down to managing it. And it's sort of what Cheryl was talking about earlier with the various tools and using the right tool for the job, particularly for, uh, Cheryl, you were talking about long-haired dogs, but with short-haired dogs as well, there's a bit of care required. Absolutely. And with the Jack Russell, is your dog living inside? Yes. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Because sometimes when the dog is living inside, because we often have a controlled environment, they tend to shed hair more often rather than seasonally. So you do need to use a brush that is ideal for that. And even though you're using that, um, that, rubber um, type one it's probably not efficient so you probably need something like a slicker brush for your dog like a, a slicker brush did you say yeah, yeah it's a little wire brush and that will help to sh um, to strip some of that coat out for you so a good idea is to probably go to a local pet store grooming salon or vets and they'll be able to talk to you about what would be best for your dog's coat but overall it sounds like he's okay i'd just be going to the right tool for the right right work there. 49216216 if you've got a question this afternoon. We're here until one o'clock. We've got Naomi from Maitland. Now, you're looking for a home for your Chinese silky bantam. Is that a chicken? <laughs> no, it's a rooster, I'm sad to say, Charlie. <laughs> oh, I was close. close. I was close. Well, it, it's, yeah. in, it's in the poultry family. That's right. right. Oh, yes. And, and he's well, he's beautiful. His name's Elvis, and he was born here and raised here, but sadly, someone doesn't like him singing. Mm. Oh, and, oh yeah, he's an so, early riser. Oh, the well, neighbours are not happy. Is that the gist? Yeah, one of the neighbours doesn't like it. So he now got me into trouble with the council, and just if I could find one of your fantastic listeners that might be able to give him a 
retiring home. That'd be great with a couple of girls to have in his harem. He'd love that. Oh, beautiful. Well, look, if you can, mm. if you've got room, you don't have neighbours, 4921216216, and we'll give you Naomi's contacts. But what colour is he? Is he white or black? Snow white. Snow White. Oh, yeah. wow. I might take yeah. him home. He can't be any noisier than the kids. So <laughs> No, he loves kids. He's had kids all around him. And sometimes, I actually, I nicknamed him Prumpy because he's all over the girls and he's, you know, strutting around <laughs> with his comb over his yellowing hair. And it's just, yeah. <laughs> oh, he yeah. sounds like a bit of a womanizer, this elf as well. It fits the name, doesn't it? There you go. So if you are able to look after Elvis, that's a great thing to do. Taking your calls, 49216216. What are the rules? Do you, Cheryl or David, know about having um, roosters and and chickens mm. in a residential area? Are there... There are. Uh, depends on the local council regulations. So each council will have slightly different regulations. Obviously, the more rural they are, the more probably lenient in that regard. However, um, you're still subject to noise complaints. Okay. So that kind of breaches between, you know, how many animals and types you can keep in a backyard versus whether or not it upsets the uh, upsets the neighbours. Sure. So, We've mm. got Jill from Cessnock now. Now she's got two female dogs and they've recently started fighting Jill. Mm. Yes. I've got a poodle and a, a miniature foxy and one's 10 and one's 11. They've been got on good for all those years and now... We can't even have them in the same room. Mm. And wow. so, what, what's happened in the house? Is there someone new? Someone well, left? Or we had a we had another foxy who was we we all always said the alpha. Mm-hmm. She died about eighteen months ago, mm. and then we did get a little another little dog. And since we've had him, they just fight constantly. Yeah, it's it's um. We we know that with dogs, obviously, we think of them as a pack animal and this leader and so on. Now, some of those theories have been um, changed and modified to reflect the fact that it's really context-specific. So it's, yep. it's depending on whatever the situation is, you know, one dog might be going through the door first, but then if someone, a human turns up, then you kind of look at them and think, well, actually, the orders are reversed and so on. So it's yep. not a hard and fast rule, but... Uh, dogs don't have the ability to sit down and just talk it out like um, sensible human beings and very few sensible human beings actually sit down and talk it out. So dogs actually will just growl, bark, avoid each other, give eye contact and avoid eye contact, all of these body language things and probably a lot of those elements, those kind of silent dog posturing and how they walk into the room and so on, that might have been going on for a long time but it wasn't resolving their differences and they've now gotten to the point of um, attacking yeah. each other and so on. So we need to go back to basics and recognise that um, this behaviour is all about establishing, you know, who are you and how are we going to behave in this environment? And so it, it takes probably a degree of self-awareness from the humans, from you guys, yeah. to look at the dogs and go, okay, well, you're, you've just lifted your lip I'm going to move you into a different position or I'm going to move the other one just so that we can... You you have to jump on these really early. Uh, You have to make sure that you're feeding them separate in separate rooms. Don't have them anywhere near each other. Don't let them see each other when they're being fed. Don't give them treats unless you can 
uh, separate them as well because we really need to re-establish some of those boundaries for behaviour. When um, we have them together, we have them on a lead. Oh, good. That's because very good. Because on the lead, they're, they're friendly with each other. Yes, yes. Well, they're under your control and they, they know that all I have to do is I have to behave like the human wants me to yeah. and all will be well. But as soon as the leads come off, it's like, oh, what am I supposed to do now? So what we're trying to do is to re-establish some of those behaviours. And it, as you said, on the lead, going back to basics, separating them at feeding time or even when people are coming home, uh, just so that they don't feel like they need to get over the top of the other one at that time. Having a quick look at the weather for our sponsor, Hunter Motor Group, for the new Volkswagen, Honda, Subaru and Isuzu Utes. Remaining partly cloudy this afternoon, there is a chance of a shower or thunderstorm as we head into the evening. And right now, temperatures are pretty stable, around 26 degrees. I think we do have time for one more call. Uh, We've got Yvonne on the phone and you've got a dog that suffers from fleas. Yes, I have a little toy poodle. She's now uh, six years old. But when I first got her, she was 10 months old and absolutely riddled with fleas. And I do give her Comfortus mm-hmm. each month. Mm-hmm. But last night she was scratching and I found another flea on her. So yes. I gave her another tablet. Okay. Very often what we need to do is to recognise that these medications work and they work really well, but the fleas have to bite the dog to get the medication. Okay, so they don't always work necessarily if you've got a dog with a flea allergy, um, but over time they're very good at reducing those numbers of fleas. If it really gets persistent, then we need to look at environmental pest control and probably calling out uh, the pest control guy. But for a period of time you'll find the fleas are still there until that life cycle goes through. Just keep going. I'm, I'm happy with the medication, but we've got to give it time. Yeah, Yeah. good advice, David. Look, that's just about time for us today. We have run out of time. But before we go, I've got to say we've got some great news. Uh, Elvis, the Chinese silky bantam, the rooster, which I found out he's found a home. Oh, lovely. Elvis has left the building. (laughs) Oh, boom, ching, we should be paying you more money, or at least some money. (laughs) Chocolate. (laughs) We'll be back this time next week. Yeah, it is Pet Chat on 2NURFM. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.